1: be here. I haven't been in Toronto very much. It feels grounding every Tuesday being here, but in between, it's a lot of uh, carbon footprinting. <laughs> um, I felt that last week we um, some bad habits, and I think helped clarify for some of you some details of the sitting practice, particularly in reference to the gaze, and um, what it is we're coming back to over and over. And so to summarize, we talked about sati, which is the Pali term, smrti, Sanskrit term, which is how mindfulness, um, somehow mindfulness has been the way we've translated those terms. But really, what they mean is to recall. Smriti means to remember, sati, to recall, to come back to, to recollect. We're recollecting the object of meditation. So, if the object of meditation is the breath, we're coming back over and over to the inhale and the exhale. What we talked about last week was how the interesting thing about the breath as an object of meditation, unlike a mantra or a color or a candle is that those other objects of meditation get more and more vivid the longer and longer you pay attention to them but the breath the more you pay attention to it the softer and softer and softer softer it gets and the thing is is that the breath gets soft and then the chitta also gets soft so that the fluctuations of the mind and the fluctuations of the breath are two ends of the same stick and then, when the breath starts to settle, on the same gradient, the mind also starts to settle. And then, as soon as you're distracted, the breath gets coarse again, which is helpful because then it's easy to find. And then you have something to pay attention to again. And you watch this over and over and over again. And that what you're noticing in the practice over time is just whether you can come back enough, not how much you're thinking or how spiritual you are whatever trip you're on but just whether you can come back or not over and over and over and every time you come back out of a habit energy of thought or whatever the habit energy is um, you're planting new samskaras new seeds in the mind and the body is the traditional translation but i actually like to think of the mind and the body and the body politic because every time you're coming back You're increasing the attention and you're planting seeds in the culture, of which you're only a corner, of attention and calmness and chilled outness, non-competition, non-aggression. One time somebody asked Shogyam Trungpa, what is the definition of the word Dharma? And he said, non-aggression. Always found that very helpful. Because sometimes in our practice we can become aggressive in the sitting practice. The other thing we said last week was it was going to be the last week that we were going to explore the Ari Pariyasana Sutta, which is the Buddha's, one of the Buddha's descriptions of his awakening. And then I got a couple emails saying, we're not done yet. <laughs> can we keep going with that? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought we could cap it off tonight <laughs> because it's an, it's an amazing passage the, one, the part of the sutta we've been focusing on um, where people can't see the nature of intimacy because how does it go? because people love, delight and revel in their viewpoint So um, I was thinking about how to cap it and then today I came across something that spoke to it perfectly. Um, I don't teach Zen and I don't practice koans, but I think the flavor of koans can be very instructive. So I thought I'd read one, which is um, uh, number 45 from the Gateless Gate, which for those of you who know this, this, is a text where I think it's 48 koans altogether that were collected in 13th century China. And uh, they describe Wu Men's uh, way of teaching koans or his compilation of koans. And uh, this one is one of my favorites. Um, and we're not going to treat it as a koan. Rather, we're going to treat it as a... Um, I don't know. We'll see how we treat it. So let me read it to you. Let's listen the first time. Shakyamuni in Maitreya So the background of this Shakyamuni is Buddha and Maitreya is in that time period there was a belief that after Buddha died he'd show up again in another compassionate form. The word Maitreya comes from what root? It's pretty close.
2: Come on.
1: John, Cindy yeah, Maitreya, compassion Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of another tell me who is that other Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of another tell me who is the other So Wu-Men comments on this. And here's what he says. If you can see this other and distinguish him or her clearly, then it's like encountering your father at the crossroads. You will not need to ask somebody whether or not you're right. Okay. Let's explore this together. I, I love this passage. Maybe it will go flat for you, but... I think this is a helpful way of carrying on what we've been exploring together. So the first question is, Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of another. Tell me who is the other? Um, I think one of the tragedies of yoga practices and Buddhist practices is coming into it with this notion that there is some knowledge to gain so that it's not a, re- a practice of renunciation, but a practice of accumulation. So people memorize the texts, they learn the Sanskrit, they learn the Pali, Chinese, Japanese. They know all about the schools and how they're organized and all the rules. And I'm fond of thinking that there are two ways of practicing. People who follow the rules and the people who actually get the spirit of practice, which is why we're in an alley. <laughs> okay. And then some people get frustrated with the alley and then they want to impose rules on the building. But you can confuse the technique for the practice when you get too caught up in the form because you're not being reminded what the form is pointing at. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right?
3: Um,
1: But the question is, who are you? The teachings of Buddha, these teachings of Patanjali, all these teachings we've been exploring, they're pointing at this question, who are you? Who are you? And most of us, we go around knowing all about other people. And usually the thing that we focus on are their faults, or if we focus on what's good about them, then it's something that's not good about us, which is uh, the phenomenon of Mm self-judgment that I'm sure is not common around here, but I've heard of it. So here is how um, Wu-Men comments again on this case. Should I read the whole thing again? Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of another. Tell me, who is the other? If you can see this other and distinguish him or her clearly, it's like encountering your father at the crossroads. You would not need to ask somebody whether or not you're right. And then there's a final verse. Don't draw another's bow. Don't ride another's horse. Don't discuss another's faults. Don't explore another's affairs. Is this becoming clear? Mm -hmm. So for most of us, we um, have different unconscious patterns of thought. And Carl Jung was fond of saying that if something's unconscious, it's unconscious. Love that passage. If something's unconscious, it's unconscious. Most of the time we think, oh, that's that thing that I do that's unconscious.
2: <laughs>
1: but if it's unconscious, it's outside of awareness. You know. And I have a, I'm having difficulty with a friend of mine right now. And uh, so I keep saying to Michel, oh, he's doing this thing he always does. He's doing this and that and the other and uh, Michelle and a friend of hers were sitting at the table as I was telling them the story and they were saying oh yeah but you're doing that thing you always do <laughs> <laughs> and I just kept going on about the other person and they kept just saying okay yeah the other person is doing that but they've touched something in you and it's like this was going on for 30 minutes and I kept hearing them say that but I kept trying to tell them what I think the other person should do Because when something's unconscious, the way it becomes conscious is through projection. So you project it onto the other, Mm -hmm. and you create an other. Mm -hmm. You create an other. Mm -hmm. Why? To create a self. Mm -hmm. Because you can't have an object without a subject. So the, the reason for creating the object is to create the subject. So if you're a servant... Who's the other? And the mind fills up with all kinds of ideas about the other. And then you go to the teacher and wonder, Am I right? And the teacher says, Oh, this is what happens here. It's just like seeing your father at the crossroads. You'll know, assuming you know who your father is. So a few assumptions in there, but you get the idea. Or do you? <laughs> don't ride someone else's horse don't shoot another person's bow don't discuss other people's affairs there's um, a monastery I visited a while back and one of the rules in the monastery was you don't talk about another person when they're not present even the Buddha (laughs) Hmm. Don't talk about another person when they're not present. And this is a play, right? Because if you're Buddha, then you can only talk about Buddha when you're awake. In other words, not when you're going off on all of your ideas about how someone's supposed to be waiting for the world to change so that you can find peace. So any thoughts about this passage? which is actually a question, it's a question to you. So you can read this as a, you know a historical, great, wonderful, clever Zen passage, but there's a question to you, which is how do you create the other? How are you objectifying? And the other can be anywhere. It can be in your own body, right? Just by saying my body, there's an objectification of the sensations being experienced now into the object of my body, Which is a personalized. We talked about. I, I referred to this when we were doing the sitting, the way that you can experience feelings or sensations, and you can refer them back to me or not. This is my pain in my knee, or this is just pain arising, and you label it so you can enter it, and then in the entering of it, there's no object, no subject, collapsed. Intimacy. Such a simple equation, so easy to talk about.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: What's happening for you? What do you notice?
3: What you just said—that uh, lang- that linguistic shift from mm-hmm. mine or—I yeah. um, had an experience with that several years ago uh, when I was going through cancer, uh-huh. and I noticed that the language around cancer was often to say, "My cancer," "My tumor." Mm. And, um, you know, at that time I did a lot to sort of rework my relationship with uh-huh. the way I thought about it. And I just mm. felt a lot better saying mm. the cancer yeah. or the tumor. If anything, I uh-huh. called it shrinky. <laughs> but um, <coughs> I just noticed, um, and that's what I did, and I noticed uh, like encountering Healthcare system or other people. Mm-hmm. When I would do that shift, I was actually really surprised at how everybody liked it and wanted to start doing that. Mm-hmm. And respected that. that's like, if I just like in the middle of an interview or something, the doctor mm-hmm. would say, "Well, you're cancer," and I go, "Oh, I'm sorry, just, it's not mine." <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that was. And th- yeah, someone mm-hmm. got offended, mm-hmm.
2: kind of yeah. Yeah.
3: but uh I mean it's, it's a long story, but I yeah. it did there and there was a certain level of intimacy too mm-hmm. because even though I didn't say it was like it wasn't mine mm-hmm. but I also mm-hmm. didn't have to be aggress- as aggressive. Yes. Yeah. Um, to push it away. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it was just moving through mm-hmm. the yeah. so I can take that lesson elsewhere.
1: Yeah. yeah everywhere
3: yeah
1: um, I'd like to summarize this whole practice as nothing belongs to me and mine nothing nothing um, the great western philosopher my favorite one Wittgenstein says that the self is nothing but a shadow cast in grammar Nothing but a shadow, just a shadow of something else, cast in grammar. Yeah. Somebody else.
4: I sort of building on that in a much more quotidian way, uh, my family has started to um, shift other more less concrete things in that way instead of saying I am angry or I am hungry we simply put the word I feel in rather same process it just becomes a temporary thing and it's just funny how I mean, you have to, we have to consciously do it at this point, switch mm-hmm. over, but it just brings it up and, and with any luck, of course, it will start becoming more of a habit and you will start to recognize it mm-hmm. fleeting um, sensibilities, but it's still a semantic, a slight switch mm-hmm. that has a lot of meaning for we're yeah. also analytical.
1: Well, it's naive to think that we can just be free of language. Certainly in the formal meditation practice, there are places where we're free of language. I think we touched on this last week a little bit. But the mechanism of the eye maker that's always superimposing a narrative on the experience so that it refers back to a me, and we'll talk about why in a second, um, never stops. The stopping is only temporary. It's only temporary. I've met people who I think are very awake beings, but I've never met anyone who doesn't have a sense of self. The only people I've met who don't have a sense of self have been institutionalized. So, the sense of self is important, but we have to see the sense of self being constructed. And this gets to the why. Why does it keep happening? Well, A, out of momentum, and B, because of the fear of intimacy. Because, and this is called Abhinivesha, which Richard Freeman translates as the fear of yoga. <laughs> right? The fear of union, the fear of yoking, fear of intimacy. Right? Because if I actually have to release my projections by swallowing them, then the other doesn't exist, except as mystery. And then intimacy is possible because I'm not superimposing something. But it's easier to go around superimposing your ideas on everything. You know, I found it so beautiful in the debate anybody watched the debate the other night on television of the candidates? Canadians.
2: <laughs> I can't believe
1: we have to even say that. <laughs> um, um, Stéphane Dion, who I didn't really like going into the debate, um, he really listened to people. And he even remembered people's names when they asked him a question. And um, at first I thought, oh, this is just a ploy, you know, he remembers their names, so it can come off that way. But actually, as the night went on, as people asked him questions, he was so clear in his response just to their question. He didn't add in anything about the Liberal Party or he addressed their question. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to watch that. The, and it, we're not used to watching politicians listen. Mm-hmm. You know? And our inner politician is the same way. We have a viewpoint and then we stick to our guns. And the more we stick to our guns, the more we objectify whatever it is we're noticing. And then there's no serving. So who's the servant? The other way I think we can interpret this story or this question that's being posed, uh, who is the other, is also that there's an assumption that the person who is exploring the question is missing something. And I find it interesting that they talk about Buddha and then Maitreya, who is the coming Buddha. And there's an assumption in the way that the questions phrase that something's missing now, so I'm looking to the coming Buddha to bring it. You see? Maybe there's a bit of a cultural experience of lack that you notice there. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have this in our practice, right? Where there's a way sometimes we can, in our own minds... Idealize certain aspects of the practice because we feel that that will—it's like romantic love with the mm-hmm. practice—that something about the practice is going to satisfy something in me. And what we hook onto of it with the practice is the technique. You know, if I just get, if I can just get the second samadhi, then like that'll just make all this hurt go away, this pain go away. And then you get the second samadhi, and it's blissful, and then you have to get up. And then the pain's back. The mind is always steering towards the pleasant. Tell me more.
0: The underlying um, theme is the interdependence. Because um, mm-hmm. if the other drops away,
1: Mm
5: -hmm. and then there's interdependence there Mm -hmm. Um, there's Mm -hmm. no separation
1: no separation, yeah
5: once we go beyond the constructs.
1: yeah Yeah. Uh do you remember what the Buddha says once you see through the construct do you remember this? people wake up to this ground Mm -hmm. not the ground Mm -hmm. not a ground but this ground Mm -hmm. and then colon what's the ground that you wake up to? Nobody's memorized? (laughs) This Conditions That Conditioned arising Okay Mm -hmm. So this Conditions (coughs) that That the way That we notice What we're noticing Conditions what we're noticing So the way That you notice something Transfigures What it is That you're noticing Mm -hmm. So back again To self-judgment just in case any of you might experience this once in a while. Mm -hmm. When you're judging yourself, you're creating the self that you're judging in the process of the judging it. Mm -hmm. And so the more you judge it, the more the self becomes substantial, even though it's an illusion Mm -hmm. that's being created by the pattern of perception. Mm Yes? Yes. Does that make sense? So there isn't a self to begin with. There's just what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then the idea arises in the mind based on conditions. (coughs) And usually the condition that gives rise to the first inkling of um, self-judgment is a feeling. Mm -hmm. So a feeling arises. It gets um, tangled in a process of aversion or it could be attachment to And then a story arises about a me that now we've made exist. You see? And then we superimpose onto that me that it's the other. And then I hate myself. So there's three of you. There's an (laughs) I that hates a self that's mine. Okay? It's like a very. So for those of you that are therapists, it's like, which one do you... (laughs) (laughs) That's why, you know, six years ago, I guess, they took multiple personality disorder out of the DSM. Um, Because we've all got it. And uh, so this is interesting to observe. And that happens like that. But the point, this conditions that conditioned arising. To see that the arising of the self is conditioned by the perception. So, who is the other? How can you serve the other if you're so caught up in your own addiction to a self that doesn't even exist in the first place? It's just a story. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. And you, you, you do this like all day.
0: creates the desire to be unconscious again (laughs) it really does it's like I worked so hard to gain awareness of these patterns Mm -hmm. and so now at moments I'm better at seeing patterns arise Mm -hmm. and the creation of the self and then it's like oh god, not again, not again Mm -hmm and then there's it's like i then i create a thing of gee whiz shouldn't i know better by now mm-hmm. haven't i been doing my meditation practice yeah am, am i not more centric than <laughs> this oh look at me
2: me mm-hmm. i'm sad <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So again, I don't want to be naive and think that the me language stops. Because it doesn't stop. But it's seen through. Mm-hmm. There are times where it stops. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live in Ontario. What do you get to do in Ontario? Hang out in canoes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. If you hang out in a canoe for long enough, mm-hmm. without mirrors and other people, there's lots of mm-hmm. places to do that. The me stories, they really do start to chill out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a story I like to tell about somebody I know that went to Burma to do a long retreat. And he was doing a retreat, I think it was, it was a year long. And I don't know how far into the retreat, but quite a way into the retreat, there were some academics visiting the monastery uh, where his hut was located. And um, by accident, they knocked on the door. And then they opened the door. And he was there doing his sitting practice. And they said, oh, oh, excuse me, excuse me. But uh, they recognized him, they thought. Like, oh, hey, what's your name? he turned to them, and he couldn't remember. Completely forgot. And for a few minutes, he couldn't remember what his name is. Hmm. You can hear in the stories that, (laughs) <laughs> you know? How lovely to swim away from your name, you know, to to just see the grammar, the vrittis of the grammar, the chitavritis that are all imagination. Start to settle a little bit. Yeah. And it's wonderful to see this for a few minutes at a time in the meditation practice. And what happens is that starts to sustain itself and you start planting those patterns so that then you leave here and you're walking home and you notice the storytelling is not the dominant feature of the awareness. A few years ago I retired from listening to pop music Um, and I started listening to nice English folk music Mm -hmm. and uh, I've never really been into English, British ballads, all ballads, love ballads, written by sailors, you know. <laughs> One of the things that's so nice about older love poetry, love songs, not even going more than a century back, is they're love songs with no sentimentality and no me in it. Someone can talk about the love they have for somebody without referring it back to themselves. And nowadays you hear love songs, it's just like journal entries, you know. And uh, that's what we're used to. In the same way that if you have a career, you know, we're always trying to create a persona that best best fits the career, because we're rewarded for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or like if you get known as an artist, a particular kind of artist, you have to like paint that style for the rest of your career. Because we can't handle having some other, or, or we can say, "Oh, now they're into this period, or that period."
3: I'm sure it's a
5: bigger question, and mm-hmm. because I, I I'm new to the practice, I don't really know where the answer. I'm sure you can't even address it, but I'll ask it anyway. We're talking about the me, 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 but when you're in the big world, there's a tremendous amount of you, you, you. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with the uuu? Can you, you,
1: you give me an example?
5: Um, well, the reverse process of what you're talking about in, in relationships or um, interpersonal communications when you are the recipient of everybody's projections, because mm-hmm. we all do it, mm-hmm. and um, you did this and you did that, or yeah. uh, this is a problem because you didn't and you weren't, and you know all of that. Yeah. So, in, in in terms of trying to maintain the work that we do, to be aware of that, and you can be really aware of mm-hmm. it, but ninety nine percent of the world, or ninety nine point nine percent of the people mm-hmm. that you're going to deal with in the course of a day, or
1: mm-hmm. aren't. Yeah. There are a lot of different ways to respond to that question, Uh, but the most practical is first of all, to have contact with people who are doing the practice, so that there's some contact with Sangha, with community, so that um, in relationship to other people, we assume that other people are also doing the practice, so that we can come to places like this and relax no one's asking you for something. It's one of the reasons why we don't have membership cards, or we don't, take, we don't debit your account every month, um, and we don't have an expensive rental, you know, so that we can practice without having a lot of expectation. You know? It's one of the things that I sometimes used to find difficulty with psychotherapy. that there's something built into the technique to keep, keep people coming, so that we can keep supporting ourselves. You know, so you can see how the projection works both ways in our expectations of each other, one to the other, to the other, to the other. So sometimes somebody is treating you in a way where you can feel the projection and uh, you have to check it out. The problem is, is that you can't check it out if there's no stillness in the system. Because we can't tell what's theirs and what's ours. Because we can't notice it from a place of stillness. We're just reacting to it. Oh, that's their projection that guy was doing this week. Oh, that's what he's doing. And people around him are saying, no, 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 no. I'm glad I have some community. Because otherwise, I'd be, you know, at that person now, telling them, oh, you're doing this and this and this, you see? Secondly, Um, we only engage with the other person if there's no violence. So if the other person has the intention to cause us harm, we should get out of the way and not engage with them when they're caught up in that. So sometimes the way people project on us is with the intention to cause us harm, and to use psychotherapeutic terminology, the counter-transference is to do something back to them to either quell the intention to cause harm or to get him back which is actually the same thing Thich Nhat Hanh says um, if anger arises in you whether it's in relationship to someone else or not you shouldn't do or say anything but instead practice walking meditation and breathing mindful breathing, mindful walking you don't do or say anything and then you check out to feel what's right. And then from there you can take action that's not based on reactivity. I find that immensely yeah. helpful. Because my response when people are projecting onto me um, is I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, I get frustrated and then I act out of the frustration and then that fuels the projection. Mm-hmm. You see? It doesn't work. So that's aggression. Dharma is non-aggression. It doesn't mean you don't get angry. We're going to get angry. But, the, the, but our anger doesn't have in it the intention to cause harm. And the story I, I think about a lot is um, spending time in Paris last year where um, you go to the outskirts of the city and uh, there are a lot of angry people that are um, basically outcasts, right? Although the population is so huge, it's hard to call them outcasts, but they can't vote. Um, they're not receiving any benefits, no money for child care, none of that. And so they're rioting, right? They're burning cars. And, you know, every few months, we hear more and more how the riots are getting more and more violent. The, the action out of anger is yoga, it's the balance that brings harmony. But when the movement against the French government has the intention to cause harm, then there's no more yoga. And that's a fine balance. You see? So when your, your action, and we know this about social action, that if you can't listen, then you know, you're just as closed down in your viewpoint as the other. But if we're actually serving the other, then our ethics have to be spontaneous. And we have to respond spontaneously to what's happening in this moment. You can't just superimpose the Ten Commandments and expect to know what to do. Okay, So usually we get angry when someone's projecting something on us. So then how do you collapse the other? You collapse the other by listening. By being able to not superimpose your viewpoint on them, so that you can listen to them. Oh, that's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. So easy to talk about the theory.
4: There's mm-hmm. another dynamic that goes on with that too, mm-hmm. that it happens for fear of being um, whatever stereotypical big women a lot mm-hmm. rather than the instant reaction being to go back. Yeah. It's to take yeah. it in. And my right. therapist once said, you yeah. know, sure he can throw a dagger at you but you don't have to push it in. Yeah. So I, the same process but yeah. there's just a little bit of a different yeah. internal yeah. approach to it going sure. on when you understand that the difference there is, is yeah. rather than, than saying, you know, no, and you smell too, or whatever it is. Yeah. um yeah. You would think, uh-huh. oh, do I? Oh, I must. Yeah. When it's not. Lost. I mean, it's, sure. You know, when those daggers come out, it's usually the person who's tossing them yeah. is not doing the tossing either. It's some other part of it, but
2: yeah.
4: yeah. Same, same dynamic, or same
1: process that way. Yeah, there's that pop book, you know, women are from Venus or something. How does it go? Men are from Mars. (laughs) I love that book. It's also written by the husband-wife combo that they separated and
5: they each write their own
1: (laughs) book. I can critique that book from all kinds of perspectives, but they're on to something. And um, there's a really beautiful book that I highly recommend called I Love to You by a French feminist uh, yogi philosopher named Luce Irigaray, And uh, she studies ways that men and women speak. And she does it mostly with boys and girls in schools. Um, mm-hmm. at, uh, some of you might have studied Luce Irigaray in university. What you might not know about her is that she was a student of Krishnamacharya. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, she became famous um, when she broke away from Simone de Beauvoir's school um, because she felt that what was important in feminist theory or discourse is not equality between the sexes but to really understand the difference oh
2: uh-huh.
1: yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah so much sense, yeah.
1: yeah. and uh, I found her work so helpful um This idea that, and this is actually just to bring this back again to what we're talking about, that a lot of people translate samadhi or yoga as oneness and then sameness. That we're all the same. But what actually creates the yoga is difference. Just like dualism is what creates non-dualism. Non-dualism is what creates dualism. It's said that actually non-dualism was created by the dualist schools to refute the previous school. Okay? In other words, when you can notice difference, when you can tolerate difference, then there's intimacy. Because then there's something to be interested in. And a lot of people think that the mystical experience is when we recognize that we're all the same. This is dangerous territory. You know, if you like trumpet, Miles Davis and Chet Baker are not the same. And it's mm-hmm. their difference that creates the intimacy with the instrument, with the sound of the trumpet. Is so that you hear Miles Davis, you hear Chet Baker, and that's not the same thing. And um, then there's intimacy. Does it, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, what kills intimacy is when you think you and your lover are the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know? you wake up in the morning, you're like, or you finish their sentences. Has anybody ever done this before? Or you don't even finish their sentence, like they're talking and you already know everything they're going to say. <laughs> there was a phase in his career where Bob Dylan used to change the lyrics in live shows of all of his most well known tunes on the spot. He would just improvise. And um, the crowd would get so frustrated. (laughs) It's like you're trying to sing along with a song, you know, and it's like switching it up. But then you have to listen. Somebody else. Who's the other? And please understand that the question is, who are you? So who's the other? maybe this can be some homework so that you find that when you've created the enemy who are you? who are you? so easy to create the enemy Okay. so what's being pointed out here is it's your creation of the enemy that creates the you This conditions that (coughs) conditioned arising. And we ended last time talking about the Buddha's last line in this passage. Do you remember? If I were to teach this to others and they did not understand this would be tiring and vexing for me. And so I think he's you. He's me. This sense that there's this awakening that happens where he recognizes the way that suffering is constructed, but then he's also frustrated. See, so that it would be tiring to continue to teach this and people not understand it. Does anybody feel this way? Mm-hmm. Yes, No?
3: I have sort of a thought, that's got kind of a question, and it yes. seems that out for anybody, but this talk of the intimacy and difference, mm-hmm. and who's the other, and I've been thinking about curiosity, mm-hmm. like sometimes one of the things I try to do when I find myself getting caught up in that sort of, I'm someone's view, mm-hmm. and I'm them them, mm-hmm. uh, I try to, one of the ways I try to ground is to be, find the part of me that's curious. Mm-hmm. but not curious mm-hmm. to pin it down and know mm-hmm. but to like an unending curiosity that mm-hmm. could that need to have some kind of permission mm-hmm. and uh, I mean that in itself for me <laughs> is a practice but mm-hmm. sometimes when I get to that like things shift and suddenly something mm-hmm. that might hurt didn't hurt or mm-hmm. um, where there might not have been where there was a wall, there was a window or something mm-hmm. and it comes up when I find that curious, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm curious about mm-hmm. curiosity, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and if, like, uh, who's the other? The other is mm-hmm. the, the the curious. One.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Some of you might know the story um, that also comes out of the Chan tradition. The whole thing is escaping me now, but basically there's a back and forth between a student and a teacher, and the teacher is saying to the student, what are you doing, are you going somewhere? And the teacher says, uh, the student says, just wandering around. And the teacher responds, uh, wandering is the most intimate. And then the student responds, not knowing is the most intimate. (laughs) Not knowing is the most intimate. The nice thing about curiosity is that it suspends the knowing about, the knowing about, Mm -hmm. knowing about. Mm -hmm. Um, Bayon, one of the Mm -hmm. great psychoanalysts, philosophers, Mm -hmm. mystics, um, he suggested to psychotherapists that they had to do two things in their work. What were they?
5: Suspend knowing entry session without memory or desire? Without
1: memory mm-hmm. or desire. Mm-hmm. And the word for desire in Sanskrit is Tana, which means, uh, I always translate it, because desire is a kind of funny word, but I always translate it as wanting. So, no memory and no wanting. And his technique in working with people was that if something came up and somebody remembered something, you could talk about it. But you would never say to somebody, do you remember in the last session when you talked? You don't bring that in. It's what What is arising for the other person they speak about? Mm-hmm. But there's no wanting in it. Not wanting to get a good interpretation, not wanting them to get anywhere, not needing you to be somebody, it's, a, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Counter technique. What are we saying? counterintuitive yoga? Is that what we were calling it? We came up with a new motto for our yoga called counterintuitive yoga.
4: <laughs> What's that? It's just a, new marketing a new marketing technique. Counterintuitive <laughs>
1: yoga. Watch the people flock to classes. <laughs> Last year we tried hip closing yoga.
2: <laughs> Didn't get anywhere. <laughs>
1: Not knowing is most intimate. It's very hard. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think it's very
1: hard. Who's it hard for, though?
3: (laughs) Me and everyone around. Yeah, it's hard for me. Mm
4: I we say, in the moment, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I could write a whole paper about it. I've actually written a book about it. It's really <laughs> easy to write about.
5: What do you mean when you talk about intimacy? What, what, what comes to your mind first when you think of that concept? Because we're talking about it in many different ways. hmm Or
2: maybe
5: not,
1: maybe one way that I don't understand, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Speaking of knowing. Um, One of the places that I'm most relaxed is we spend most of our summer up north, just around the northern end of Algonquin Park. And... um, there's this field across from where we stay, and uh, it's an old cemetery that nobody goes to anymore. So there's a, a and, and I guess it was an area with extreme poverty, so nobody has tombstones. There's just cement in the ground, little cement blocks, and it says things like, um, so-and-so's wife, <laughs> or the twins, mm-hmm. or the girls, or women don't ever get names but it's covered in moss and uh we go there and we have naps Uh, have you ever seen moss that's like a foot thick Mm -hmm. there's no people around and we could just go there and lie down and go to sleep and uh we sleep in the moss and it's the most intimate Mm -hmm. and it's one of these places where your mind just goes (sighs) and i say in i always have felt in a continued we've been there for six years when I'm there, I feel most connected to community. It's a community of people who are not alive, mm-hmm. moss, mm-hmm. butterflies like being the moss, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. It's huge, mushrooms are amazing. And, um, because without ingesting any of them. <laughs> um, so when I come back to town, um, It can last for a while where um, the practice is just seamless, of feeling intimate with everything, even garbage trucks. One of the things that's important to understand, though, is that these kind of situations can give us what I liked Alan Wallace's term vividness. Vividness. Where suddenly everything is so vivid. Has anyone had this experience? Mm-hmm. Especially on retreat, right? to come back from retreat and everything's so vivid. But vividness is not good. You don't want vividness in Toronto. You don't want to be going around vivid Don River. You don't want vivid pollution. You don't want all that vivid because it will just destroy you. And so the background of vividness has to be relaxation. So underneath all the vividness, and that's why I use the example of being in the woods. And then out of the oh, comes the vividness. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the meditation instruction I'm asking you to focus especially on the exhale. Oh, so that as the vividness comes so does the relaxation. And then intimacy arises. But there, ha- there, there is not a feeling of intimacy when there's vividness without the relaxation. Because it's vivid but it's an object so you can have vivid cars on 401 without intimacy just but you can have vividness and anger at the same time anger is actually very vivid <coughs> you see but you have to have the relaxation to have the intimacy or there's no stability in it does does, does this make sense a little bit i think most of you know this right mm-hmm. i see this a lot you know I meet with a lot of people who contact me when they come back from retreats they go on their ten day Goenka retreat and they come back and they're a mess you know and I used to think it was just because of no community you know because retreats are hard if you don't have community to practice in because you go on this intense retreat you come out <laughs> you know and there's no support you know? but I'm starting to see that there's something else there which is if you're learning a meditation where there's so much effort in the concentration and there's not softness in the background, then it makes you crazy. Because it increases the vividness, but the background is so, there's just no ease in the background. So there's the steadiness, the stira, but there's no sukha, no sweetness. So the vividness and the... (sighs) Mm. That's why at the beginning of yoga class we always chant. So that we get the... Mm. mm. And you go... "Um, mm." And I like opening my eyes and looking at the room. I shouldn't tell you that. (laughs) And you see all these people finishing mm going... (laughs) (laughs) and then they do the first (laughs) posture and they're like
2: (laughs) and
1: then the depression sets in (laughs) Mm. smiling eyes root of the palate Mm -hmm. and it's like this when you're on a canoe trip, right? has anyone ever been paddling and you're looking into the water and then a loon comes up Mm -hmm. and they look right at you Mm -hmm. It's like you can't know anything. It happens too fast. You can't know anything about it. You just go mm-hmm. intimacy, mm-hmm. not knowing the viewpoint is suspended, mm-hmm. and there's no cittavritti, but there's thinking. There's still thinking, but there's no clinging to any of the thoughts. This happens in car accidents too. Someone's in a car accident. The car is spinning out of control, right? Has anybody had this happen? Or you get stabbed, it happens people get stabbed Mm -hmm. or shot. You get shot, there's thinking, but time stops. Mm -hmm. And there's just awareness of what's happening, but there's no contraction around anything. Stunned. The loon pops up.
5: Mm Why isn't that just feeling as opposed
2: to thinking?
1: Because there are thoughts happening. There's feelings and there's thoughts happening. Thoughts can still happen. Guardrail, (laughs) get out of here, (laughs) start running, can't feel leg. There's thinking, but there isn't a... The vritti is not so tangled. It's not like, oh, this is my leg, and I really needed this leg for tomorrow, for the race. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the Buddha's famous comment about the arrow. Do you know this metaphor? If you get shot with an arrow... You don't look down at the arrow and say, what angle did this come from? What is this made out of? How did this happen? You just take the arrow out. Immediate. Right hand takes care of left hand. Left hand takes care of right hand. Inhale takes care of exhale. Exhale takes care of inhale. I take care of you for me. If I say I take care of you for you, this is idealistic bhakti. But I take care of you for me. Mm -hmm. Not for my benefit, because it's taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I take care of the Don River because I'm water, 73%. -hmm. So I take care of the Don River is taking care of my body. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's not my body. It's the body manifesting in this unique condition that isn't you, it's me. Mm -hmm. You're not me. We're not the same. That's what's intimate. And that's how curiosity is possible, because the sameness can't ever exist. If everything was the same, you'd never pay attention to your breath, so you think it's every breath is the same, but it's not stable, and the closer you look at it, it's impermanent. And then there's a ground there, but the ground is groundless, and it's empty of me. So good. <laughs> Let's finish chanting.